In today's episode, I'll be chatting with Alexandra Shepherd, author of Oh My Gods, a young adult novel set in London following a girl named Helen Thomas who is forced to move in with her dad, who also happens to be a Greek god. In the episode, I talk about everything from Alexandra's Jamaican heritage to her journey to publication to her favourite Greek myth. I want to apologise for the feed you may hear throughout the episode. There is like a background sound and I believe that it's probably something supernatural coming to join us and I hope it doesn't affect the episode too much and I hope that you still have a nice listening experience welcome to the right type how are you i'm good i'm good i think we were just saying that um i've been enjoying a break from the hot weather and um, it's nice to actually have it cool enough in day that i can write because when it's sunny like like it was on the bank holiday weekend just all productivity goes out the window but it's so great for the carnival right yeah and like amazing for everyone being outside but not when you've got a deadline (laughs) i feel that i hate heat so much that i feel like i just cry rather than working yeah i I get you like what parts of london are you from um i'm from holloway in london which is where i live now okay cool um yeah i'm from like croydon oh croydon yeah some distance away but i have been there before i like croydon it's really interesting My friends are all scared. Exactly. (laughs) Even diversity wise, it's really different. Is like um North London quite diverse, especially in your area? Yeah, definitely. I think um it's there isn't really one ethnicity that dominates. It's a mix of like Afro Caribbean, West African, um, Turkish, Greek, um, South Asian, East Asian in smaller quantities and of course like white British but yeah I went to school in Holloway in primary school and my school was really really diverse so loads of different languages spoken lots of kids who spoke English as a second language like we celebrated all sorts of festivals throughout the year so good place to be. That's amazing I feel like it's always nice to have that mix. For some reason, my primary school was quite white, but I didn't notice at the time because obviously children are very nice and like they don't have all the biases yet. Well, if it's all that you know, then it's all that you know. Exactly, yeah. It's only when you're older you kind of realise that adults suck that you're like, oh God. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so like, what? where are you from like background wise and um, your family? Yeah, so my mum is Jamaican and my dad is English, okay. white English. Um, so yeah, I'm mixed race. Um, my mum's parents came over from Jamaica in the late fifties. So I think it makes me second generation. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I um I feel like because of the area I grew up in, I'm very much in love with Jamaican culture. Um, oh, so really? I was just surrounded. Yeah, I was surrounded by so many people from like the Caribbean, especially Jamaica. So I was really like I've just been in love with the food and like the the culture in general. Mm. So I'm always yeah, we're very excited. Well represented in London. Yes, very much so. Immigration to the UK with Windrush and everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like um yeah, my grandparents came here because there was work and they thought they were invited here and I think it's something that I am really interested in learning more about but yeah. as I read more texts from that era like autobiographies from people who were in, living in Jamaica in the 1960s and you see how much of their education is I had no idea how much Jamaican education was pro-British you know they sang the national yes. anthem at school Some of the, if you went to a private school your teachers would be white British women um like you were taught the motherland was you were just an offshoot of the motherland and england was a place that somewhere to aspire to be and they certainly thought that if they went to england that they would be welcomed but obviously that wasn't the case <laughs> it's so sad like i've read um small island by andrea levy mm. 
it was so like eye-opening I was so shocked by how much they kind of were taught to idolize the British and then they came here and they were they were shown like a different side to what they've been taught all their lives. Yeah, definitely. Even I was surprised when I was growing up um, that my mum was, um, I don't know why, I feel like, you know, when you're, you're growing up, you kind of get like internalised some really, really horrible stuff. And I thought my mum was, I knew she was Nigerian, so I was like, why do you speak English so well? And she was like, well, that's what we speak there. Like our language has very mm. much been colonised and we don't have the same roots that our ancestors did. We like, we kind of idolise the British. Yeah, and it's really shocking to find that out like um i only found out like there's a lot of um obviously because the, the black people in the caribbean were taken there because of slavery you think that they're the ones who have lost their roots because of and you know the stories of their ancestors through yeah. white violence and white supremacy but actually like the countries that were colonized by the british and other european countries they had lost their culture as well even if they weren't physically taken away exactly so yeah, yeah it's really done us all dirty <laughs> oh, it's so sad but apparently i saw like a article this week apparently racism's over in the uk <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah apparently <laughs> we can all be like so happy about that but yeah um yeah, i swear there's one of those articles once every month literally and it's always about like by a white person that has only grown up here and only known um a specific type of environment yeah definitely growing up you always want to be a writer or is it something that you kind of found later on in life uh, i always loved writing for fun i think as a writer you'll probably be familiar with that like i'm sure like me you were writing from a young age even yes. if you didn't think i want to be a writer as yeah. a job or when i grow up you just it's something that you do because it's fun i think when you're a lot younger you're encouraged to do more things just because they're fun yes exactly and as you get older school work starts to take over exams start taking over and those things that you did for fun suddenly become like well is this going to look good on my university application is this going to help me in my studies or if not should I be spending time doing my homework instead of writing stories so creative writing gradually took a back seat the older I got um then last 20 I had this idea for a book which eventually turned into my debut novel oh my god and I sort of sat on that idea for about five years um before eventually writing it and actually knocking down and writing it but um yeah so you asked if I used to write a lot when I was a kid absolutely yeah and I never thought it would be a career it was just something I did for the fun of it yeah um and I read a lot as well so even when in my teenage years I didn't write as much creatively I read loads and I think that's something that you need to be a writer is that you need to be a voracious reader definitely I think I, I can't imagine being a writer not being a reader I think the two go hand in hand definitely I think knowing like the genre you're writing in especially is very very important yeah definitely and what and just the love of words because if you don't love words then good luck rewriting and editing <laughs> and redrafting your own manuscript <laughs> exactly it can get painful yeah it's painful even when you do love it yeah i agree 100 percent. could you like take us through like your publishing journey and how you queried and got your agent and got published and everything and how hard that was for you or how easy it was sure so in terms of getting an agent it was pretty straightforward in that my agent contacted me she was following me on twitter and saw that i was writing something and saw that it was ya so she dm'd me and said you know email me your manuscript and you finished it so i did which was a few months later, and she, we met up, and she was like, I really want to represent you, and that was that. <laughs> That's different from a lot of the things I've heard before. Yeah, yeah, it can be, it was, it was just good luck. I think so much of publishing is down to luck and timing. Yeah. Um, and then, 
in terms of getting a book deal, we went through the motions of, you know, they, when I signed to my agent, they had a whole heap of edits to make to the book to make it better, to make it um, just a better book overall. Um, and there were quite, some quite radical changes to the structure and to, um, not necessarily to the plot of the heart of the story, but we got rid of a few characters we changed it from a diary to like a third person format and so that rewrite took several months and after that rewrite we my agent contacted publishers um in the uk for to see if they wanted to read the first few chapters and that's when the rejections started to stack up quite a few rejections which i think is quite normal at the stage yeah um and I think what surprised me was how subjective some of the feedback would be. Like, you get conflicting feedback from different editors. It just goes to show how much of this is down to personal taste. Exactly, yeah. But eventually, about six weeks after going on submission, I had a meeting with my editors at Scholastic, who had become my editors at Scholastic. And I'm really glad I signed with them. They, I had two incredible editors who... Um, really took the book to the next level and improved it in ways I couldn't have imagined which I think is what a good editor does and I think um, it didn't change the book radically like, the characters stayed the same the heart of the book made stayed the same but they just tweaked it and trimmed it and prodded it into shape and I'm very very grateful for them no, an amazing editor can just like do things you can't even fathom before yeah right and I felt like I learned so much during that process I yeah. didn't know about writing that you know, I went from before I got an agent, I'd rewritten my book maybe three times over the period of five years. And then when I got the book deal in that time, signing and publication, maybe about nine months, I must have rewritten the book four times or edited it four times. So it's a really much more intense process. Mm. But you learn so much about the book, you learn a lot about yourself, and you learn a lot about writing and the importance of editing and I feel like my next first draft will be infinitely better than my first ever first draft which makes sense right and it's really exciting to see that growth. I think I heard someone talking about why writing a book after like the book you've published is so difficult is because you're now so knowledgeable and you know what can't work anymore and so it becomes more like you're kind of a professional at this point at editing. That's a really really good point and I think as well um you also become, you also have way less time. Like yeah. the first time I wrote the first draft, it's like, it might get published, might not, oh well, I'll just take my time. It's something you do for fun. And then now, like, you have a matter of months to turn around the first draft, if that. And it's going straight into the hands of professionals. You don't have time to polish it up and to exactly. think about, have more fun with taking different angles. And um, if you, if you're writing your book too, you probably have a synopsis that you've had to submit beforehand to an editor. It feels much more constraining, but in a way, I don't know, I think I prefer that than to writing in the dark. My first draft, it felt like I was writing in the dark, but like I was stumbling a lot, writing myself into brick walls. Completely. Like I've um, had so many like um like writers that haven't got an agent talk about how sometimes they don't know if it's getting better because there's no one telling them this is the direction you should be going, this is what the market might Mm. favor so it's kind of it's better to know exactly what you're kind of doing definitely Um, and i'm so i I can't 
can't believe I've managed to write so many versions of my first book without any feedback. It yeah. just seems like such a solitary thing to do. I don't know if you feel the same way, but like, Definitely. I can't believe I wrote for so long. And I had an amazing writing group who would read extracts, but they were never as involved in the book as my agent is, for yeah. example. And it feels like it felt really lonely. Like, I was just writing through the faith that I would eventually get a book deal and I can't really believe I did that it seems kind of bonkers to me now congratulations it's a big thing a massive thank you so much (laughs) I had a really wild um statistic about how something like 0.1% like less than 0.1% people will get a book deal in their lifetime so that's amazing so congratulations to us (laughs) yes um did you ever feel like you were an outsider or did you ever feel like someone or something was stopping you from being a writer or achieving like your dreams because of your race? Yeah, um, I think the biggest barrier to me writing in my early 20s was myself okay. and this like lack of self-esteem, lack of self-belief. Um, but in terms of when I did get a publishing deal, I mean, of course, you, by virtue of being a black mixed race woman I would always feel like an outsider in an industry that's what 86% white middle class women something like that yeah like you are surrounded by people who don't look like you who don't have the same experiences as you and yeah it's difficult not to feel like an outsider that will always be the case whether I've been made to feel like an outsider I don't I don't think I have I don't think anyone has gone out of their way to make me feel like an outsider or to highlight my difference yeah. But of course, there are eventually going to be people who don't understand what it is I'm trying to do, who might not see the value in it, and who just don't get it. Yeah. Who don't think there's an audience out there, who don't think that young black girls buy books or need books, for example. Um, but of course, everyone's very polite in publishing. So. <laughs> Especially <laughs> in the UK. We're very polite as people. Um, I really loved the family aspect of Oh My God. It was very, like, messy and it just reminded oh, me of my you. family and um, how we're not perfect and how there's just so much going on and how, I have so many relatives. Like, I tell people I have so many. I just don't know most of them. Um, <laughs> so I just love that aspect. It felt I feel like growing up, if I read Oh My God, I would have just fallen in love with um, writing even faster um, than I did. Uh, so what was your favourite part? You could say. <laughs> <laughs> the, my favourite thing about writing it. Yeah, writing, oh my God, and your favourite aspect of it and everything. Definitely getting down the family dynamic. Yeah. I love writing about siblings. And I love writing about families that don't fit the traditional mould. Yes. I think it's just more realistic and more representative of what society is for people now. And I don't think, although, you know, the family dynamic is quite dysfunctional, oh my God, I think it can be... They can also, families can also be, they don't have to be 2.4 parents and children set up in order to be a source of love. But exactly. it's, it's tricky because families aren't always a source of love or support for everyone. Um, they can be messy, but whether they're messy or quote-unquote functional, or they're there for you and they have your back, or they're a source of real stress, whatever situation you have with your family, that will affect you growing up. And it's wild to me that so many YA novels focus on romantic relationships, they'll focus on friendships, but they don't focus on the family set up when that has such an impact on you as a teenager. Um, 100%. And I think we've probably had a similar set up in that, you know, I'm one of five girls in my family, 
um, lots of aunties and uncles, lots of cousins, especially on the Jamaican side of my family. And family is very, very, a, a very influential part of my life and part of my upbringing. And even now, my sisters are still my close friends. So I just love exploring that dynamic. And I think any book I do next will definitely have sibling dynamics as a big feature in it because I think it's just so interesting and rich and depending on who you are, whether you're a middle child or the eldest or the youngest, it can have such a big impact on how you view the world and how you're treated. So I think it's super interesting. Yeah, I love that. I think that I want to read more about family dynamics like when i was growing up reading ya books and the family like they just didn't appear in their lives exactly it's so so strange like they would go out at night and i'm like where's your mum to beat you or like (laughs) tell you to come back inside i'm just confused I can't even fathom it. So I just always read it like as a fantastical thing. I was like, this is a contemporary novel, but it feels like a fantasy to me because there's yeah. no way I'm going out at 2 a.m. to go and like see a boy. Yeah, that is so, so true. And, um, and another thing I loved writing about Oh My God was then um, incorporating the Greek mythology and updating yes. the gods for the 21st century. Yes, I loved that. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I actually saw your book at Yauk the previous year. Oh, right, yeah. I still have the sampler. And I remember um, the person that was selling it at like, um, well, like not selling it, but like pitching it at um, the Yauk stand for Scholastic. They were like, yeah, it's by a black author and it's about Greek gods. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> and she just kept on going and going. I was like, I can take two of these. Um, I gave one to my baby sister and I gave one to myself. And then when my um, when your book came out in January, I got one for myself and one for my sister. But oh, yeah. bless you because that was just the coolest thing ever i just i'm so into that idea i love the greeks so yeah the greek gods and the mythology yeah and it's funny because i do a lot of school visits these days and no matter where i go in the country everyone knows the greek gods everyone exactly. can wrestle off the names and myths they're yeah. so enduring um and so it makes i think a lot but i don't think it's gonna go out of fashion you know people still know percy jackson they still talk about this Hercules, a film i still love um, so updating it to the modern age just, it, I'm certainly not the first author to do it but I think I'm the first to do it that reflects my particular background yeah. and my particular part of London and my particular heritage and that's why I wrote this book I wrote it for myself because it's exactly the sort of book I would love to read as a teenager I love that and I think when you write for yourself, often you'll find more people that are also like, oh yeah, I really relate to that, rather than trying to write for someone else. Absolutely, it has to be authentic and you just have to hope that someone else feels the same way too. But yeah, I don't think it's possible to write for the market or to write with getting a bestseller in mind. Firstly, because the market changes so quickly and you can't exactly. control it, but also yeah. because what a drag that must be just to write a story that ticks a certain amount of boxes and just horrible and someone said actually that um whatever you see on like the tables in waterstones um that's not the market that was the market two years ago that's so interesting yeah and also i believe one thing i'm learning more about publishing is like how few people there are that dictate the taste of everyone else i mean the waterstones buyer oh yeah that's that's a huge amount of influence that person has it's and scary. It's all down to their specific taste. Exactly. It's just so scary, I think. It is, yeah. Kind of what children get to read is basically in the hands of one person. Absolutely. And it's just a luck of the draw if they deem your book worthy. And I think that's so, so scary. Um, it 
it makes me scared because it makes me realise, you know, I always thought just getting published would be the only hurdle, the biggest hurdle, but it absolutely isn't. There's all these other things in terms of, like, where your book gets sold and who picks it up and things like that. Yeah. Like, I'm learning a lot about this industry. <laughs> you learn more every day. Like, you never stop learning. Absolutely. I always thought when I was... um querying and trying to get through the different hurdles that there'll be a point where i'll just like know everything but like mm. every day something happens and i'm like i did not know that yeah and when's your book coming out Sarita? um april 2020 okay so you've got a little while yet yes worried about that let's see how yeah. it works out i thought from publication was just so much fun like i had the best time it looks fun like it looks like so much it happens fun. It, it, and it's as fun as you make it so don't be afraid to celebrate yourself and because I'm sure everyone around you will be so proud of you and want to celebrate with you as well. It's such a huge achievement. I feel like we're taught to be so um, dismissive of things we've achieved yeah. that you kind of just like downplay what you've done. Yeah, and especially if you, know, if you know lots of other writers and it seems like everyone has a deal coming out, everyone has a bigger deal than you, everyone has a bigger exactly. contract than you, it's really easy to downplay your own achievement. But actually, it's a really big deal. And I think you learn face your front and not to worry about other people's book deals and other people's achievements and their award nominations and stuff like that and just focus on the fact that your book is in the hands of readers and it's those messages that make all the hard work worthwhile for sure yeah. those messages from readers who say that my book cheered them up when they're having a bad day or that they loved it and they just had a little moment of magic for a couple of hours on the beach and that makes me very very happy more happy than anything else i can imagine like that just sounds wonderful i see people get like fan mail or like a letter from like a child in like primary school <gasps> yeah i think those as well have you gotten any like that no so my my readers mainly dm me on instagram <laughs> technology has like improved to the point where letters don't exist anymore yeah teenagers they're not gonna send me a letter i can thank you cards after school events which is very sweet but no i mainly get emails and dms which i'm fine with that's also happy I'm very, very happy with that. So did you have anything you wished that you'd known when you first decided you want to be a writer? Um, I think I would be more, it's not something you can really teach, but I would like to try to be more patient. Yeah. And there's a lot of waiting involved in publishing um, and it can feel interminable and feel like your life is on hold until you get that email. Um, and I think I would, my advice now is to just start on the next book once you've got the first one out of the way, just start on it. And that completely takes your mind off, well, mostly takes your mind off, waiting for that email and feedback or waiting for being in submission and waiting to hear someone's picked up your book again. Like, yeah. just start on the next project. Don't let your inbox rule, rule your life because that's a miserable way to live. I love that. Don't let your inbox rule your life. I feel like <laughs> that's perfect for writers. I might just add that to like the tweet where I put out the episode but that's amazing I love that I think often as writers we kind of just want everything to work out when we want it to work out and everything to move quickly but as you said earlier um it's about luck and timing and often the time when it happens is meant to be the time when it happens yeah um, yeah that, yeah it, it is what it is and you can't control it so focus on the things you can control which is the quality of your work so uh something a little bit more fun and less serious what's your favorite like trope or thing to write about oh um i think i'm gonna say siblings again mm. just sibling relationships and I, I like to write uh the times when i feel writing is really flowing for me is when i'm writing an argument or some heated dialogue yeah I love writing dialogue. I think my books will be quite dialogue heavy. I just 
enjoy picturing the back and forth of conversation and the subtext and what characters really mean when they say something. Uh, yeah, so writing argument scenes, that's, that's fun for me. Um, and also siblings, I think I said earlier, yeah. um, just exploring those relationships that most of us will experience. Most of us have siblings um, and most of us have a relationship with our siblings where no matter if we're very close or very distant, it's a very peculiar relationship. You're very close, you can be very close in one sense. And also, if you're cl- the closer you are to someone, the more you know how to hurt them. Blings wield that power quite differently than you would even your best friend or your partner or your parents. They know exactly where to get you. Some things that siblings say, I'm just like, if anyone else said that to you, they'd literally be dead yeah, to you. Right? And it's only because they said it that it's okay. Some yeah. of the things my sisters have said to me, some of the things I've said to them. And we got made up an, an hour later. Whereas, you know, if that was one of my friends or my boyfriend, then, like, there'll be shots fired. So <laughs> it's a really, really funny relationship. And I think it's a really interesting one to explore. I agree. I really love reading about siblings, writing siblings. I think it's such an interesting dynamic. And I don't think it gets explored enough. It seems to have, like, YA seems to have a hierarchy to what's important to read about. And it seems to go, like, romantic relationships, platonic, and then siblings at the bottom. And I'd love to read more about um, siblings and everything. Is your um, second book going to be about siblings? Yes, there's going to be a bling contingent, big sibling part of it, yeah. Okay, that's cool. How's that going anyway? Is it difficult? Because I hear that, I don't hear it, I just, I'm living it right now, but book two syndrome is really real. Yeah, um, I'm not, uh, so I'm two thirds of the way through my manuscript draft, so I'm trying to get down 2,000 words a day, which is difficult. Yeah. But um, because I did quite a detailed plan beforehand, it's, fairly simple and I just keep on reminding myself this is the first draft you just need to get the words on the page yeah and that is what I'm focusing on just getting the words on the page so I know it's not the best story it's not the sharpest writing it's not the most brilliant characterization but the words are on the page I can fix all of that later so um, it's going well, yeah. That's a great way to look at it. I heard someone say something about how um, you can't edit something when it's not there. You can't edit like yeah. air. So you can't edit a blank page, for sure. Exactly. And that's what I tell myself, like just get it on the page and sculpt it later. I've been trying to apply that and it's been helping a lot, I think. Um, because you can't like be too hypercritical in the beginning. You have to just get something down to edit later. Yeah. So yeah, completely. I kind of wanted to end on an interesting last question because I think that mm. there's so much that people don't know about publishing. Like, you know when you're growing up even I had a panel at um, Goldsboro Books where I spoke to sick formers about publishing and they they really wanted to get into and stuff like schools are so adamant on teaching them about how to get into jobs they're not going to enjoy and not actually exploring the creative field enough so I was wondering what like myth about publishing would you debunk oh um what myth about publishing I still feel like there's so much I don't know about publishing especially as a writer or you know there's so much I don't know about, about publishing that I could give advice to people I would say that one myth I suppose is that I don't know I think it's a really tough question I think yeah I got nothing <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's I'm a hard sorry. question it's fine I'm trying to think about the myths about publishing that are not true and that and like you know there's a myth about publishing that you have to live in London to that's true but i think you do have to live in london if you want the job like it's It's not very well paid it's very london-centric yeah it 
seriously has a diversity problem and you know publishers are doing some stuff to address that but they're not all of the myths about it being that you having to be a privileged white middle class person in order to gain entry i'm not sure if they are myths at all i can actually sit there and say this is a myth yeah um I, i can't i would say that you know if you love books if you love writing you don't necessarily have to work in publishing to further that and it does seem there are some publishers doing incredible things that have been far more welcoming and inclusive, like Night Souls, for example, and Jack and the Book. They're amazing. Example. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to be limited to the big ones, the big publishers, and feel like you have to shoehorn yourself there. Um, I used to work in advertising before as a writer, and it's quite similar in that we lack diversity, but it talks a lot about trying to be inclusive, trying to do better but there's a lot of talking being done not much a- action and I feel like that's the same with publishing there's a lot of talking being done not a great deal of action so yeah I can't in all fairness say to any young person particularly young person from like a marginalised background saying that yeah publishing will welcome you with open arms because I'm not sure it will but they're still so sorely needed yeah it's exactly. whether publishing recognises how much it needs those new voices and those new opinions and it's so disheartening to see statistics that come out every year showing how less than 2% of people that are publishing are a person of colour. Absolutely, absolutely. I would say that it does seem like it's getting better. Mm-hmm. So by the time you sit formers go to university, I think it is very difficult to get into publishing without a degree. So there's another myth I can't see about. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the time they graduate, it should be hopefully easier than it is if they were to graduate now or this year yeah. but yeah it's going to be it's going to be a tough road for anyone I think for most people trying to get into publishing stuff and the odds are even more set against you if you're from a marginalised background I, I completely agree um, actually I lied I have one more question <laughs> um, your book's about Greek gods what's your favourite Greek myth? oh um, I love the myth of um, Arachne Okay, I don't know, you know that one. No. It's like the story of a woman who basically, she was a weaver, okay. a master weaver, and she disrespected the Greek gods by weaving a tapestry that showed them um, being drunk and disorderly, having affairs, getting something good. Um, and so because she did that, the gods, I think it was, I think it was, I want to say it was Athena, turned her into a spider, so she could weave forever. Wow. And that's where the word like arachnophobia comes from because of this woman arachnophobia. Love it. I thought it was like really petty, uh, vengeful, and a great origin story for how we've got a word and it connects linguistics with a really fun story. Um, it seems like a lot of people love the myth of Persephone and Hades. Yeah, I actually like, don't know much about it. <laughs> well, everyone yeah. seems to love it. Well, it's basically about Hades, God the Underworld, in that Persephone who was the daughter of Demeter, who was the goddess of the harvest. He fancied her and took her down to the underworld to make her his queen. But I feel like people are fans of it in a very uncritical way. Like, what he basically did was really gross and sexist um, and awful. Yeah. And people don't really... <laughs> I think I feel like there's a lot of fan fiction surrounding Stephanie and Hades that concentrates on, like, him being a bit of a rascal and not, like a serial abuser I don't know I feel like a lot of people don't um, criticise things and I have to find out like randomly oh yeah actually it's an abuse story yeah and they're just so 
told like these stories have been around centuries and they're just a part of the western lexicon so it's hard to pull away from that sometimes and quickly assess something you've been taught as a truth your entire life actually i was um listening to a podcast called 88 cups of tea um with madeline miller oh right yeah yeah so she wrote cersei and she was saying i haven't read it but i loved the song of achilles i thought it was brilliant i want to read it because she's amazing she's such a beautiful writer um and she was talking about how there's this person who's literally like the first witch and how often like the Greek mythology is like told from the perspective of like a man and how we don't get to hear these stories of these really Mm. interesting women characters. So I was just, I'm definitely going to read Cersei sometime soon. I got the book recently, so I'm excited for that. Oh, I'm excited for you. I might reread it actually. It was such a brilliant book. Have you read her other book, um, The Song of Achilles? Yes, and I did enjoy it, but nowhere near as much as Cersei. Really? Okay, that's exciting, because I was scared I wasn't going to enjoy it as much. Yeah, but I think you have lots to look forward to. It was so nice chatting with you today. You too, thank you for having me.